I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 34 of the Kung Fu Movie Guide podcast. My name is Ben Johnson, and welcome to the show. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast via all the major podcast providers. We are on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Acast, and loads more. If you do subscribe to the show, all we ask is to give a star rating or maybe write a little review. That will help to promote the show and hopefully attract even more Foo followers. The more listeners we get, the more great guests we can attract for future episodes of the show. And as always, you can get in touch with the show. We are all over social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. And we are also on email. The email address is hello at kungfumovieguide.com. Okay, that's the plug over. Let's get on with the show. Here we go. Well, if you're really so determined to have a fight, then I'll oblige. hello everybody around the world wherever you are wherever you're listening to this episode of the kung fu movie guide podcast thank you so much thank you for tuning into today's episode much appreciated maybe you're new to this uh, this whole thing and if you are then welcome welcome to the show quite a lot to fill you in on we've been doing this for over two years now glad that you could finally make it maybe you're a veteran foo follower and you've been keeping up to speed with everything that's been going on on the podcast if that's the case thank you so much for returning and checking out this latest episode of the show whoever you are however you found the show welcome to it i realized i haven't really explained this show for a long time probably since episode one way back in early 2016 I guess mid 2016 the basic premise of this show is I sit down and talk to people who make produce choreograph direct write talk about and star in martial arts movies and it is a genre that I've been incredibly passionate about probably for as as, as far back as I can remember and this show is very much a way of sharing that passion but also grabbing some first hand insights from uh, many of the hard working and talented people who you know, really put their blood, sweat and tears into actually making this wonderful art form, this wonderful form of entertainment. So there you go. That's what I do. And occasionally people do come onto this show who hold a particular resonance for you or hold a special place in your heart. And Sophia Crawford is definitely one of those individuals. I'm very much a, a product of the 90s. And I do remember Sophia's work from, uh, you know, many of those wonderful Yukari Oshima movies that she made uh, in Hong Kong and all those Philip Coe movies, of course. Sophia was always that typical uh, Western lady who always looked great, uh, performed amazingly. Uh, she really kicked ass, but she was always ultimately, you know, got her comeuppance in some way or another. She was either shot or thrown off a building or something. Uh, and uh, she was just so fantastic in those pretty wild action movies that were made in Hong Kong around that time. And of course, she's English as well. She's uh, born and raised 
not too far away from here in uh, in London, uh, and she has a rather incredible story on how she found her way into Hong Kong, and you know got to perform at a time when female-led martial arts movies were all the rage in Hong Kong. She would then, of course, later move to Hollywood, where she would find fame in the stunt world, uh, firstly on Power Rangers, uh, but then, of course, as the fight double for Sarah Michelle Gellar in the incredibly popular show Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She was the main Buffy stunt double uh, for the first four seasons of the show. This was a particular personal delight for me, and I'm very happy to be able to share this chat that I had with Sophia with you shortly. Just before I do that, it has been film festival season, as I'm sure you're aware, and I have been fortunate enough to catch a few big screen premieres over the last couple of weeks or so at this year's Rain Dance Film Festival. So Rain Dance is the UK largest independent film festival. It was great to be able to attend the UK premiere of a new zombie action martial arts movie uh, called Redcon 1, which is out now in cinemas up and down the UK. So go and support UK independent action cinema uh, and go and check out Redcon 1 if it's showing in a cinema near you. It's directed by Chi Kyung Chung, who many, many moons ago made a, a martial arts indie called underground that movie did feature quite a few names who have graced this podcast over the the couple of years that we've been going people like zara fivian uh, Bo fowler and joey answer underground also starred mark strange who also stars in redcon one uh, and he is a producer and a writer on the movie and it was nice to be able to see mark and chi at the premiere and also get to chat to oris ehoru who stars in redcon one there there is some martial arts fighting in Redcon 1, particularly from Mark Strange, who does get to strut his stuff quite a bit, but it's certainly more of a 28 Days Later style zombie apocalypse movie, which does do very well to achieve quite a lot on, on quite a small budget. So congratulations to Chi and everyone there uh, for getting that movie over the line. That's called Redcon 1. Raindance also hosted the world premiere of Night Shooters at the weekend, so that was on Saturday night, and this is the new one. One from writer and director Mark Price, and it stars Jean-Paul Lee, uh, the breakout star from Cambodian fight film Jailbreak from 2017, which is out on Netflix now. If you've not seen Jailbreak, then I do urge you to go and watch that and also catch up on the previous episode of the podcast, which featured my conversation with Jean-Paul Lee. He was on there talking uh, about Night Shooters, which is a really fun uh, action comedy. It's about a film crew who witness a crime uh, perpetrated by some British gangsters during a night shoot. It's a kind of Guy Ritchie meets The Raid, and it's a heck of a lot of fun. Night Shooters is doing a few film festivals around the UK. I know it's showing at the Leeds International Film Festival. Then it's going to the Mayhem Film Festival in Nottingham. And it will get its Blu-ray, DVD, and digital release on the 26th of December. So if you can't see it on the big screen at any of those film festivals, then it is coming to Blu-ray at Christmas time. So there you go, two great UK independent martial arts movies there, which are uh, definitely worth seeking out if you can catch them on the big screen. 
We've also got the BFI London Film Festival, which kicks off this week, I believe. And there's a few titles there which will get their UK premieres. One of which is Shadow. This is the new movie from Chang Yimou. This follows his hit films like Hero and House of Flying Daggers. Shadow has already got its world premiere. It got it back in September at the Venice Film Festival. And it's just been getting absolutely rave reviews everywhere it's been playing. So we are very excited about uh, Shadow and finally getting to see that movie. The Prey is another title that I've eagerly grabbed tickets for. Uh, This is the new Cambodian martial arts movie from the team behind Jailbreak, directed by Jimi Henderson and with fight choreography by Jean-Paul Lee. That is being shown as part of the BFI London Film Festival, which follows its world premiere, which happens at the weekend at the Busan International Film Festival in South Korea. The closing film at Busan is none other than Yen Wu Ping's Ip Man spin-off, uh, which is called Master Z Ip Man Legacy, or if you're British, Master Z Ip Man Legacy. However you say that, that's quite a clunky title. But anyway, uh, that film gets its world premiere on the 13th of October at the Busan International Film Festival. It stars Max Chang reprising his role from Ip Man 3, where he played the rival Wing Chun master Chung Tin Chi. This film also stars Michelle Yeoh, Dave Batista, and Tony Jaa as well. So uh, an absolutely phenomenal cast, and we are very excited about that film. And one other movie to tell you about, The Night Comes For Us, is a new Indonesian fight film. Uh, This got its world premiere at Fantastic Fest in Austin, Texas in September, and it stars Iko Uwais and Joe Taslim, both from The Raid fame, of course. The film has been snapped up already by Netflix and it will premiere on the streaming service on the 19th of October so mark your diaries that film is called The Night Comes For Us so there you go that's a little snapshot there of some of the great martial arts entertainment that we have to look forward to over the coming weeks and months of course in order to keep up to date with all the latest martial arts movie news check us out on social media but also why not sign up to our monthly newsletter not only do you get to find out about all this uh, cool movie news that's happening around the world but you also get to win some free stuff You can become a registered Foo follower today by signing up now to our monthly newsletter via kungfumovieguide.com. Simply visit the website, type in your email address, and don't forget to validate your email address, and then we will do the rest. Okay, it's Sophia Crawford time. It was great to chat to Sophia and just reminisce uh, over her time in Hong Kong and in Hollywood, of course. She has recently relocated from Hollywood to Atlanta, Georgia, with her husband, who is the fight choreographer and stunt coordinator, Jeff Pruitt. Sophia has opened a coffee shop in Atlanta, so a slight change of pace from her work as a stunt performer uh, in Hollywood. Her coffee shop is called the Federal Coffee House. It is located in Peachtree Corners, Atlanta, Georgia. I've not been there myself, but Sophia tells me that they have live music, movie nights, open mic, and, of course, great coffee. So there you go. Maybe when you're next in Atlanta and you need a little bit of a break, why not swing by Sophia's Coffee Shop, uh, the Federal Coffee House? And if you do, make sure you tell her that the uh, Kung Fu Movie Guy podcast says hello. So, uh, so there you go. Okay, without any further ado, let's throw over now to my conversation with the stunt legend, 
Buffy's double, a former Power Ranger, and the Hong Kong action movie star, Sophia Crawford. Okay, so the coffee shop, what made you go into that line of work? Is that something that you've always wanted to do, that you've always been interested in? I needed to transition into something and I wanted to do something new. I wanted to learn new skills. Um, So I just thought that this would be something fun, interesting and a way for me to, I just like, like, I love just chatting with people. I love standing behind the bar watching everybody in the shop enjoy their coffee and having a chat with them cool uh, it, it really just makes my day yeah. yeah and and you chose atlanta because uh isn't jeff jeff's from atlanta isn't he he is originally yeah um well his family's here you know and several yeah. years ago we actually thought we, we had bought a motor home and we had traveled across the U.S. for quite a long period and we stopped in Georgia and we were contemplating at the time to stay here and put down our roots here at that time. Um, but the industry, the film industry, was just beginning to grow. It was about, well, I guess actually maybe 10 years ago this was. Sure. But then now... It's different. I mean, there's so many studios here. There's a lot of production here. We felt like it was a good time to make that leap um, so he could be closer to his family. And I had the opportunity to start something new, a new business, um, and see where I could take it. But I I have noticed that you're still working in the stunt world. Um, I think on, on, on your IMDb page, I think your last credit was on the most recent Jason Bourne movie so that wasn't that wasn't too long ago um is that is something you're still actively looking for to look to you know continue to work in movies I am I am you know I um obviously the the opportunity to work is a little bit less for me now but I still from time to time get a call to work I've had some calls calls to work while I was here but I just um haven't registered yet and I've preoccupied with when you're when you're at the very beginning of opening this business it really requires a lot of time and effort but you're still fighting fit and you're still training and everything yeah if i'm, yeah. Not, yeah, if I'm not too exhausted by the end of the day absolutely i leave here i hit the gym and um i've got to keep that going but part of the conditioning of the, my body is is also so it helps me to be able to endure the long hours because it's much worse when you work 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 and then you go home and sleep and you don't work out you would think that oh if i work out i'll be more exhausted yeah. no if you work out you actually end up feeling a hell of yeah. a lot better and you have more energy to get on with what you need to do so i always try to make it a priority to get into the gym whether i'm you know whether I, you know it doesn't matter if i have a film project coming up or not this is just for my own health benefits i'm going to look for a place where i can go where i can um, continue training in martial arts because it's a big part of 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 my life and I certainly don't want to lose those skills you know I work behind the bar a lot so I'm off I'm talking to people all day long um, and many people cannot um, they don't know what accent I have mostly they say South African 
Um, And that's fine. And I think the thing is, is that my accent has kind of diluted a little bit over the years. It's become a little bit Americanized. uh, So you can't really tell where it is, where it's from. You still come back over to the UK quite a bit then, do you? I try to come back every couple of years, you know, because I still have family there, even though my parents have passed quite a long time ago. um, I still have my sisters are there. So now, actually, now that I'm here in Atlanta, it's easier for me to hop over the pond and and get to England. It's a little bit of a shorter flight. You know, you've been out in the States for so long now. Um, Do you still consider the UK to be your your home? No, I still call it home you know it's still home and yeah. i still feel an, an affinity towards it and i and when i walk around especially going around the markets and so forth you know i love to go there and 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 just gosh just to be around a lot of british people and have a chat and reminisce so you were born in hammersmith in london and you're one of triplets which is interesting do you have fond memories of um growing up there in hammersmith i'm not going to remember much because I left there when I was three years old and right. we, we moved to Kent and yeah. it was just this tiny village. I think about at, at the time it was like 400 people. So I lived there right up until I started heading towards London. We grew up in farmland. We grew up running through the fields. It was, um, we had, had very, very fond memories of growing up there because we just, I don't know, we were just outdoors all the time and maybe that's what made me so tomboyish and yeah. I, we had, you know, we just had a lot of freedom and um, very high-spirited, the three of us, and, um, you know, gained quite a reputation in the village for being terrible three. Right. Yeah, I read somewhere that you had quite a um, rebellious streak uh, growing up is that uh, is that right it came later as I became a teenager and quite honestly I feel like that was really more to do with the fact of losing my mother so young and right. my father still was you know he was an economist he worked for, um, at the Sunday Times he was the economics editor for the Sunday Times and he commuted quite a long way into into the city and he would leave at seven, you know, in the morning but wouldn't re- home, return home till midnight. So the three of us had free run of the house from a very young age and I think it just made us sort of quite independent at a very early age. But then as I grew older, I think there was also some sort, some sort of need for getting out and wanting to see the world and you know I'm old enough to do this on my own kind of thing and just wanted to explore. Back in the 1960s there was this bus it was called the Magic Bus and it drove from London to Afghanistan. This guy Barry who had driven that bus in the 60s 20 years later wanted to re-travel the trip so he put an advert out in the Time Out magazine just asking for people to contribute 200 pounds to this journey if you want to come it's going to take about six months it's going to be hardcore you're going to sleep in tents we're going to cook on a campfire and drive across all these different countries and and, so it's all barry's fault (laughs) it's all barry's fault yeah so basically um my sister and i jumped on this bus and we headed to india and it was a fascinating trip Yes, it was very difficult, but boy, did it open my eyes to the world. Boy, did it toughen me up. 
boy, did it make me want to explore more. So instead of going back to England after we reached India, my sister and I just backpacked India for a few more months. We went up to Nepal, we backpacked Nepal, we went across to Thailand and um, slept on Koh Samui's beaches for like three months. There were so many experiences on this particular trip that you honestly, you could just write a book just based on that. <laughs> Don't be dumb. Fight with me or else they'll finish you. <laughs> Where did academia uh, sit in your life? Did you like, did you like going to school? I, I got expelled from five different schools. <laughs> right. Why did you get expelled? Uh, for fighting and for colouring my hair because I had a blue mohawk. Um, <laughs> so you were a bit of a punk rocker then, were you? Yes. Oh, yes. We were one of those punks on the King's Road that had our photographs taken all the time. Right. I was such a mixed bag, even though... I had the blue mohawk. I love reggae, and I used to go to see all the reggae concerts and go to the Shabines. And I mean, I was just a very mixed bag of yeah. person. Yeah. So when you said, you know, me and my sister were going to go over to, uh, we're going to get hop on Barry's bus and go to India. Uh, was your what was your dad's reaction? What did what did he think about it? My dad was quite eccentric. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> he, uh, no, uh, had no problem whatsoever with us taking off around the, around the world on our own. <laughs> so uh, he was great, but very eccentric. And I, you know, so anyway, in Thailand, Ingrid decided that she wanted to go explore South America. And I said, I don't know what it is about this place, but I really just want to stay here and see what I can do here. So I started teaching English. Yeah. You, know? you ended up staying in Asia. Um, I'm just interested as to, you know, why Asia? Can you, can you remember why, uh, you know, you, you were particularly drawn to, to that part of the world? Honestly, Ben, it was basically a gut feeling. It was yeah. guttural. It was like, I, the, uh, I have, um, I don't know. I just felt like, oh my gosh, I love this. There's something here. I don't know what it is, but I need to stay here. And when you were out there, you somehow started end up working as a model, and then eventually in films. Um, can you explain how how that came about? I I was um, I was looking for a job. Okay, so I, I went to the Central Plaza Hotel, which is by the Bangkok Airport. And I walked in there and I basically said, you know, I'm looking for a job and they needed somebody to um, help the, the, their staff communicate with tourists, right? So yeah. I, I, I had told them that I was 28. Uh, I said I had a bachelor's degree. Uh, <laughs> right. It was terrible. I look, 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 hey, I'm not proud of the fact that I, I did this, but I had no money, you know, um, so I had to get a job. And so they gave me this job and the staff was great. And then they asked me if I wouldn't mind uh, modeling for one of their brochures for the hotel. Yeah. So I said, sure. It was a little bit of extra money. And so did you, um, you didn't have the mohawk then at this stage? No, no, no. That was all gone. That all grew out, you know, throughout the whole traveling period. Yeah. My hair went back to normal. And um, I basically 
through this this assignment with them, I met uh, Central Casting. Yeah. So Central Casting asked if they if I could sign up with them because they said, look, we've got. We have, you know, other American projects coming to town and we need extras. Um, so if you want to make a bit of extra money, do you want to, you know, can we contact you? And yeah. I said, yes, absolutely. So I thought nothing of it until they called me and said, do you want to come and work on Around the World in 80 Days? Uh, it's in the jungle in Thailand. And I said, yeah. So sure. I went out into the jungle and I did that project and I was like, wow, this is this is really cool and wow oh my god you make so much money and you know yeah. <laughs> I was like, wow wow stunned you know yeah and then i worked on um john claude van damme's kickboxer yeah and then i was like then i was like oh started talking to members from hong kong we basically salon films supplied the camera equipment and it all came from hong kong sure. so a lot of the crew was hong kong you know i started chatting with them and they were saying to me well if you you know if you have an interest in being in films why on earth are you in thailand why aren't you in hong kong and yeah. i said well i never thought about going to hong kong and honestly i was having a little bit of trouble then with my work permit because i was trying to get one but couldn't and um i felt like okay look this is ridiculous i'm having problem with immigration i'm gonna get caught i'm gonna get deported yeah. I need to go to Hong Kong. So within literally a few days of making my decision, I found myself in Hong Kong. Sure. <laughs> so just just backtracking there just slightly, you know, given that Kickboxer is uh, such a an absolute classic. Um, yeah. If um, if we wanted to go back and try and spot you in that movie, uh, which yeah. which part of the film are you in? Okay, so if don't blink, or you're going to miss me. But right. Pascal Anderson and John Claude Van Damme. Are in this bar, right, and they're chatting, yeah. and over their shoulder is me, right behind them. Right. <laughs> and I don't have blonde hair; I have dark hair because I'm actually natural brunette. So. Sure. So at this point, then you were, were you starting to take, um, you know, movie making and becoming a an actor quite seriously? Was that something that you know that you were sort of seeing as a as a goal that you wanted to? fulfill or or at that stage were you just like you know i need a job uh there's work going in hong kong i'll i'll head over there once i had felt the movie experience and 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 you know i started taking some acting lessons you know right. i was like i you know i thought of myself i thought well you know i'm i'm gonna give this a try apparently i'm not too bad at modeling apparently i'm i'm not too bad at this apparently you know, I think I'm just going to start learning a bit more about this and see where it goes. Yeah. But I felt that if I needed to, I needed to be in a place where there was a lot more production and where I could meet other people that were working in the industry. Um, and also I could start taking some classes. I mean, there was nothing like that in Thailand. So mm. in order to learn, I needed to be in a place where I could learn. Get it! It's the late 80s uh, and you've just landed in Hong Kong uh, and you're on your own. You don't know the language. Uh, did you, what was your plan? Did you, did you have a plan when you landed? Did you know like where you needed to go or, uh, you know, who you needed to meet? No, it was terrible. I had, I mean, I had 
I still have vivid memories from this day of how I sold my backpack in Thailand to get the money for the ticket to get to Hong Kong. Right. I arrived in Hong Kong. You know those big plastic laundry bags? Yeah. That's what I had. So I had that and I headed straight to Chongqing Mansions, right? Which right. is where everybody goes, right? Yeah. <laughs> I did I did what I did while traveling and that's why I, yeah. I headed to the hostel where all the travelers go you arrived in Hong Kong at, uh, at a great time for um, you know Western actors working in uh, action movies Cynthia Rothrock obviously was it was a huge star over there in the mid to late 80s did you know I mean how much did you actually know about you know the Hong Kong film industry at that point and then how did you try and go about you know, entering into the film industry over there. This is exactly what happened to me at Chongqing Mansions because when I arrived there, this is where I met. Um, I met Mark Houghton. I met Steve Tartaglia. I met, I met, you know, um, all of these these Western guys that were working in film, right? Yeah. Um, so I've instantly became friends with with them. I, I'm very chatty. I, I you know made friends very quickly. Um, so I started picking their brains, and they started educating me on the Hong Kong film industry mm. and who was in it. Um, I I then took it basically upon myself to head straight to the video store and start watching as many Hong Kong films as possible. Yeah. Just it just learn, 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 learn what's going on, who's making films. Then the next step was for me to start looking at where are the film studios, who's doing it, who are the coordinators, who are the action directors, sure. watching the films that these these guys were talking about, who they were working with. Um, and then it was a matter of training. Who was I going to train with? And I met Rambo Kong. Rambo was a gift. He was a beautiful yeah. soul. Um, I learned a lot from Rambo and used to go to Kowloon Park on a daily basis. And that's, you know, my humble beginnings of learning martial arts. Yeah, because that, I mean, you, you hadn't trained in the martial arts sort of at all at, by, at that point. Um, I mean, how did, you, how did you know if that was even, you know, something that you you know, were interested in that you wanted to get into? Yeah, Ben, I'd, I'd never done it before. I mean, yeah. you've got to remember that I was basically this ragamuffin girl, this tomboyish girl that was just had a lot of spirit and just really, yeah. you know, I had just traveled, backpacked. I was a backpacker, you know. Um, mm. I had, you know, here, here's the thing. It was like I had a desire to do something and be have a skill but I didn't know what that skill was going to be yet once I started training with Rambo I, it just absolutely solidified my my feeling about what I wanted to do um, so I just every day that I went to to the park with him I couldn't wait to get there couldn't wait to start to start to, to start training okay so your first film out there is New Kids in Town uh, Lao right. Gar Lung movie 1990 um how did that? So, how did that film come about for you? Here's the thing: I went into the audition, right? I believe it was Steve Tartaglia that got me the audition. I hope I'm wrong on that, but anyway, so I got an audition, and it was myself and another girl. And basically, they he, um, they came out there. They showed me some choreography. They showed both of us some choreography, and they had us do it separately, obviously. Yeah. 
I was pretty shocked when he said I had the job. He said, I know you don't have training, but I can see that you can be trained. He said, the main reason why you've got this job is because you've got heart, you've got intensity. He said, I want intensity. So I said, okay. So I took the job, but obviously when I did the job, there was a lot more to it than I imagined. And I felt terrible because I felt like I sucked. (laughs) And I still feel like I sucked. I look at that movie and I go, oh my God, you suck so bad, Sophia. (laughs) You suck so bad at that time. Yeah, but I mean, not only was this, you know, your first film role out there, you're working in a country which you know you're you're new to uh, everyone's speaking a language that you don't understand and not only that but you're you know you're trying to learn really complicated um you know fight choreography from people who are the best in the world at this so sure. you know sure. and you know and I'm working with people that I know are really big in 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 the business and I'm like oh my god oh my god you know what what happened though when I walked away from that film I said look I told, I was like, don't be, I can't be too hard on myself. It basically lit a fire up my butt. It yeah. basically said, look, obviously you are on, on, no, you can't compete with any of these people. You, everybody is way superior to you. You've got a hell of a lot to learn. You've got a hell of, hell of a lot of training to do. So you better just get on with it. And I was pretty hard on myself. I was just like, no, if you want to be successful in this business, you better just, you better work harder. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. My superior kung fu will finish you off. Just looking back over the, the films that you did make when you were out there, I'm interested in how much you know knowledge you had of these films before you started making them, were, were you ever sent uh, scripts or told, you know, a bit of background about your character or anything? I wish. Right. Uh, I, let me tell you, I wish we had scripts. I wish we had had a good uh, definitive kind of uh, description of what our characters were and what we were going to do. No. It was never like that. You know, you and I both know, obviously, that that time, it was a very raw time. You know, it was like um, everything was done uh, um, uh, on set. So I would be, I would get a call to say, oh, we, ha- we need you to come in for a, a movie. Um, don't have a title yet. Uh, you're yeah. going to do a fight with so-and-so. Okay, got it. I'll be there. Yeah. So that's it. You go to set. <laughs> um if I had dialogue, I would usually be handed a piece of paper. Yeah. I would have no idea what the scene was because often the person that was translating 
it to me maybe that English was not quite so good and I'm trying to understand what they they want yeah. I'd be handed a piece of paper that was basically Cantonese um, and then I would be I would have to uh, speak in Cantonese and then if I forgot if I couldn't remember what the dialogue was um, then I could just count numbers because everything was going to be dubbed anyway so they didn't care what it sounded like as long as lips were moving <laughs> some movies you know I got you know a fairly good description of what what it was that was necessary what I needed to do mm. and other times I was just thrown into the fire and it was just like okay uh, I think I'm supposed to do this I hope I'm supposed to do this let's hope this works out right <laughs> in a lot of those movies you're usually playing um you know like the boss's girlfriend or you're like a um assassin you're very often cast in those uh, villain roles i'm just wondering why why do you think that was do you do you, do you have any thoughts on that because i'm a guaimui Uh, I don't know. Maybe something about me. Maybe maybe something that somebody saw in me. Uh, You know, I I really didn't care. None of that bothered me. You know, Um, I didn't I didn't I didn't care about that. I just uh, was happy that people were considering me for a job. Yeah. Who am I? You know, like oh, you want to bring me on a film? You want to hire me? Great. Yeah. You know, I was just. I was just amazed that I was getting any work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so the the stunts, obviously, in a lot of those movies that you were making um, back in the day. I mean, even looking back at them today, it's pretty wild. Uh, you know, hair raising stuff. It's very exciting, but you know, it's quite uh, you know full on and full contact. Mm. Um, did you ever did you did you ever look at a stunts you know in a, on any of those movies and just think? you know, that's outrageous. I'm not going to do that. How could I, how could I say it's outrageous when I had nothing to compare it to? Yeah. This is all I knew. Yeah. So I stepped into the business not knowing anything prior and, and so into Hong Kong at a time when it was still very raw, when you were still falling onto boxes, you had mattresses that you were going into, the cables were really, really thin, bread mm. snapping all the time. But I had I had nothing to compare it to. Yeah. So when I came to Hollywood and I saw how different it was, then I realized, you know, I mean, yes, of course, at the time, you know, as, as the years went by and, you know, I worked with, started working with Yukari and yeah. started working with in different higher budgets because sometimes a lot of the times it depended on the budget of the film that I was doing, yeah. you know, on what kind of equipment they had accessible to them. Um, so sometimes, the, obviously, the safety was a bit better on some productions than others. Yeah. You know? yeah. Sometimes it's questionable. Yeah. And didn't you, there was one instance where I think you broke your foot when you were doing a stunt. And then, because you'd filmed so much of your scenes, you, you know, the director was like, we're not recasting you, so you've got to just crack on and, and keep doing all the fights. Story scenes. of the gun, yeah. Story. Yeah. And I played FBI on that, by the way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's partly just me, too. I mean, I, I, was, I was the one that, you know, um, I had a cast on. I, I took some scissors and cut it off. Right. Um, because the look on the stunt, stunt coordinator's face when I went to him with my cast was just, he looked at me like, how are you going to do the finale? 
and I went, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's, and, 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 uh, it was like, I didn't want to not do the finale with Yukari. Uh, That meant a lot to me. So I just found a way around it. You know, I mean, Yukari, Yukari, obviously I have to, you know, really thank her for helping me um along because it she really she helped me in so many ways yeah she sort of took you under her wing a little bit didn't she because you you ended up joining her stunt team is that is that right i did yeah i did joined her team um she put me into an apartment um i paid her the rent there i trained with her i I became her friend she managed me she really 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 helped me get better control of my contracts because people were taking advantage of me and i was you know i you know obviously i'm older and much wiser now but back in those days i was young and very naive and i was taken advantage of quite easily because i wanted to please people and i wanted to work she must have seen something of maybe a kindred spirit in you maybe in the sense of like she was japanese and you were from the uk you were both foreigners working in Hong Kong, working together on those extreme, uh, action-packed Hong Kong martial arts movies, you were very similar in the sense that you were both trying to navigate that that world. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And yeah. even though we didn't, she couldn't speak English, right? But but we connected in in a in another way. You know, it was like we didn't, you know, just through explaining to each other through hand language just you know i really loved yukari and i had great admiration and respect for her and if anybody influenced me in how i wanted to perform as a fighter i wanted to be like her because she's the one that inspired me the most i loved her intensity her spirit i loved her look i loved the way she handled her business i mean she just she was just a very strong woman and i and i wasn't as strong at that time i was quite weak you were working at a time in Hong Kong when, you know, there was an amazing number of, um, you know, just really great female action heroes. So Yukari Ashima being one of them, but, you know, Sabal Hugh, Kara of Wei, Moon Lee, Machiko Nishiwaki, like yourself, of course, Cynthia. You know, it was a real, you know, incredible time for uh, female action heroes working in Hong Kong. You know, even looking back now, it seems like, you know, the roles that were being offered to to women in those films were, you know, they were powerful, they were uh, uh, good characters, they were funny, they were very diverse as well. You must feel very proud, you know, looking back that you were part of such a strong movement in a way. I do. I feel proud, but also incredibly lucky that I was there at that time and that was involved in it. I mean, like I said, you know, I know that there are probably many martial artists that, you know, would have loved to have been in in my position. Um, But it's just, you know, I was there. I made it happen. I went through some very, very challenging times personally to be there, to go to do that, you know. Um, But, you know, I'm proud of the effort that I made to stick it out. So what were the main challenges for you then? There were times where I felt like an outsider. Um, because I I couldn't, you know, I couldn't communicate as well as I would have liked, Um, you know, but you just kind of overcome that. During that time, towards the end of my stay there, it was quite apparent that there were some people that were 
are very, very ready for the changeover, okay, for Hong Kong to be given back. So you had a few people that um, were quite open about their animosity towards foreigners. Right. So, you know, oftentimes that might be directed at me. Not that they, no, not necessarily personally, but just in the fact that I was a white woman and I was British, you right. know. So it was a very broad blanket that they were spreading. But mm. look, people do it everywhere. We do it in England. We, America does it. Lots of people do it where they just, you know, don't understand the situation of a certain individual, um, not realizing, look, I love Hong Kong. I love your culture. I love your movies. I love martial arts. Mm. Don't paint me on such a broad brush. I'm not, you know, I'm not against you. Don't be against me. So that's right. interesting. So the, the prejudice that you um, felt over there that came more from being a Westerner. Um, you never faced any kind of prejudice for being, you know, a, a woman then working in a, you know, what is a predominantly, you know, male dominated no. industry. So as far as being a woman and fighting, oh, my God. No, it's brilliant. Look at the opportunities that were given to women at that time. Yeah. No, they opened the door. They really did. And they really let women, you know, be strong, be tough, you know, be beautiful at the same time, not, you know, and show their skills and have equal skills, you know. So they didn't downplay the part of the female character that was fighting. Yeah. So, in other words, they didn't say, well, we're not going to give you this choreography because you're a woman, so you might not be competent enough to be able to do it. They let the women have the same choreography. It was brilliant. Yeah. So were you quite sad then when you did eventually leave Hong Kong? No, I was ready to leave. Yeah. I was actually ready to leave um, more because what was happening at that time was... Um, um, the, the modern action drama was somewhat disappearing and the budgets were, people were, Kofi, uh, you know, went down to the Philippines and was yeah. very, very low budget films there that were really very good. And um, I felt like, and Yukari had wanted me to go with her to the Philippines. And I said, you know, you, I'm sorry, um, Dido, you know, I, I, I just feel like I'm taking a step backwards. Yeah. I said, um, at this point in my life, I think I was 26 by then, I said, I think if I'm going to, I need to make the transition to America because, first of all, I'd really love to do English language films. And mm. and then secondly, right now, there's the work's drying up for me here because the genre has changed. It started changing into traditional dramas, you yeah. know, traditional costume uh, pieces. Yeah. It was okay for Steve and Mark King and, and, and Vincent Lynn and all those guys because they could play like soldiers and they could still play characters that were fighting on screen. But mm. for me, there wasn't anything. There were no women fighting anymore. I was like, well, I, do I go to the Philippines and work for Colfay and do a bunch of really low-budget films or do I try to make a stab at going to America before I get too old? So do you, do you still keep in touch with a lot of... Um you know, those people that you met and, and worked worked with in Hong Kong? Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm still, I still keep in touch with Yukari, Aki, uh, Moon Lee. Um, yeah. And um, obviously, you know, uh, Steve Tartaglia, yeah. uh, all of those guys, I'm more Facebook friends with them. Mark, um, so proud of what Mark's accomplished and, and 
and all of those guys, you know. So, so I, I, I'm very, very supportive of them. And we lost um, Philip Coe, of course, we last did. year. We did, and Rambo. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. so yeah. I mean, you know, people are starting to go. It's like, oh, my, I'm getting old. Cocky bastard. Please moderate your language. No need to talk like that. I think I'll beat the shit out of you. When you landed in Hollywood, one of your early roles was in a in a martial arts film called Sword of Honor uh, with Stephen yeah. Vincent Lee. I always felt with that movie that you know it was such a shame that you know your character gets shot and then you end up in a in a hospital bed, uh, and then Stephen Vincent Lee goes off and kicks ass and goes and uh, you know gets all the glory. Um, and you were playing, you were cast as a martial artist in that film as well. So, yeah, it's just interesting, isn't it? I guess in terms of how Hollywood saw the role of uh, female action heroes uh, compared to how Hong Kong was uh, was at the time. That film does sort of highlight just you know how far behind Hollywood was in many ways. No, you're actually absolutely you're spot on with that. And even I felt at the time was my role was diminished because I was a girl and I needed to play the. the basically, at that time, you had a lot of female roles where we weren't really allowed to fight that much. We we had to be the girlfriend that was the uh, needed to be saved. Yeah. <laughs> so we. Um, uh, I would have liked to have done more on that film. And again, you know, even on that film, the time that they allowed for the fight scenes was, I was like, wow, you want to, you know, you really didn't, you haven't put much time aside for what we felt was quite an important part of the whole film. So Power Rangers. So your stunt work on that show, was that like your first big hit then really when you when you landed, when you first landed back in the States? My first big success actually was I was uh, played a guest star on Kung Fu the Legend and I went up to Canada and I worked with Robert Vaughan, Patrick McNee, I pay, played Chris Potter's love interest, I was Patrick McNee's daughter and then I did WMAC Masters where I played a character called Chameleon on a very successful children's show. Yep. So things were actually going quite well um, for me then but then i or i went to i was asked if i wanted to double amy joe johnson on power rangers and i said yes so i went down for the audition and and jeff was there and we had met at a screening i knew who he was and um uh he gave me the job and i was very excited because it was a uh, it was a job that was uh five days a week every week i was like oh my gosh i mean i'm gonna I'm going to work today. <laughs> That's a proper job job. That's a job job. It didn't end in a day or, yeah. or 10 days, you know. I was like, right, okay, cool, the series. It was a little bit more stable. Um, it meant that I could pay my rent. I could, you know, afford to have a car and pay my pay the bills and stuff like that. It wasn't quite a huge amount of money, but yeah. it was a regular job. And it was martial arts all day long, every day. We were all working in uh, Santa Clarita at Lake Castaic, shooting five days a week, you know, 13 hours a day, um, fight after fight after fight after mm. fight. Mm. And this was second season of Power Rangers. And um, and then all of a sudden, Power Rangers just exploded 
exploded. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was such an incredibly popular and influential show. I do remember watching it growing up. I do have a, <laughs> quite a fondness for that show. Um, so, I mean, it looked like, you know, a lot of fun to make. I'm guessing, you know, you had a, you had a great time making that. Yes. No, really, really, really. And, 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 and not just a great, it was, it was great because second unit was um, given its own thing. Basically, we were separated from first unit. And so second unit had free reign. It was basically come up with fun stuff. Don't make it crude because it's for kids. Don't be too violent. Be creative. Go off out in the in the park. Shoot what you want all day long. And we had so much fun. We were a bunch of kids. I mean, we played. We basically did the scenes in the costumes. We were inside the monster costumes. When we weren't when we weren't in costume, we pulled out the mini tramp and we trained. So. You know, it was all day long, all martial arts. And of course, you met your future husband on Power Rangers, Jeff Pruitt, the fight choreographer and stunt coordinator. So when did that sort of start being a thing? Okay, so we went over to Australia to shoot the first Power Ranger movie. Yeah. Um, And it was shortly, it was basically there that we started dating. So so we started dating in 1994. Um, He proposed to me on Buffy in 1998. And then we got married in 2010. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Why did you yeah. leave it so long to get married? We, we always knew that we'd be together forever. There was no question about it. It was more, it was just wasn't, um, I guess I've just never been the white wedding woman. Yeah. Uh, needed to have a big, big wedding or anything like that. And um, we just felt, we just, we honestly, we were very busy in our careers and, mm. And we got to it when we decided we were ready to get to it, and we did. <laughs> yeah. So you worked with Jeff, obviously, on Power Rangers, and you, you worked together on Buffy. How does that partnership work? Is it difficult at times to, you know, be in a relationship with someone that, when you're also working together? I've always, honestly, I've always loved working with Jeff. Um, Jeff and I work very well together. We're a good team together. Some of yeah. my best moments uh, on working happen with Jeff. Hey, hey, hey! You really should be ashamed. You call that a punch? Buffy the Vampire Slayer comes along, another huge and highly influential uh, TV show, uh, and much loved. How did you first hear about that? How did you get involved in that project? It was through a friend of ours called Jim Hardy. Um, there was a different coordinator that was slated to work on the series. The pilot had been shot, but the series had not started yet. Yeah. Um, and they were looking for a double for Buffy. Okay. Um, so I went down to meet um, the stunt coordinator, who at the time, um, and at that time it was Jeff Smolek who was, who was doing it. Um, and he hired me. And then actually there were a couple of other girls that he hired and there were three Buffy doubles to begin with. Yeah. At the very beginning of the first season, Joss watched each of us working and made the, made the decision that he wanted Buffy to have, to have consistency in her style. Yeah. And he really, he said to me, he basically said, you've got great kinetics, I like the way you move your Buffy. And he right. gave me an exclusive contract. I wasn't allowed to work on anything else, and it, um, Buffy became my life for the next four years. Yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah, and it's such an amazing 
you know role and again to be you know part of something that's so loved and you know so influential yeah. uh you know you must be very proud of of that legacy but also you know of the show and your your role within it i felt like everything clicked on that show i was yeah. mature enough now and i and i had been training for quite a long time i felt ready to undertake the pressure and intensity of that show physically yeah. um because it was a very 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 physically demanding show you're shooting for nine months in the year okay mm. i'm fighting almost every day and doing stunts so i am getting bruise after bruise after bruise after bruise with yeah. no downtime to heal so by the end of the season i'm a complete wreck right, right. but at that age and at that point in my life and my career it was the timing was great plus yeah. i really enjoyed i felt like i was um people appreciated what i did i yeah. loved the crew was always very supportive um i really enjoyed reading the scripts each episode was like i would be looking forward to oh what's going to happen next you know I, yeah. I couldn't wait for the script to come out what's she doing now what's she going through now it wasn't just about what stunt am I doing? I wanted to read the script, you know, and yeah. um, I was very much into the show, enjoyed watching the show and was very honored to be a part of it, quite honestly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it does from sort of seeing the a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, it seems like it's a, it was a very fun show to be a part of and obviously, you know, a fun show to watch as well. I'm just wondering, what, what, so what was it like to work with Sarah Michelle Gellar? Did you, did you get to hang out with her much at all? Generally, yes. Um, yeah. But, you know, then she also was very busy in her other projects. So, you know, I did actually, in the in the beginning of the series, I, I had more time with her. Um, and then as the show became more successful, a lot less time. And so you know, she was busy off doing her thing. So you worked on Buffy for the first four seasons, uh, but then you didn't see out the rest of the show. Was there a reason for that? Why, why, why was that the case? Um, hmm. So this can get a little tricky sort of talking about, and I'm not sure how much I want to discuss about it, but there was a little bit of a falling out between Joss and Jeff. Okay. And, you know, a lot of people were let go on that show. It wasn't like, you know, people were being were let go all the time. Mm. So Joss let go of Jeff. Um, and Joss was very angry at that time, as was Jeff. Um, they were actually worked very closely together and actually had a very good relationship. Mm. So, but there were hurt feelings. And um, Joss said, um, you can come back to season five, but you have to leave Jeff. Yeah. So obviously that was uh, not something that I was even going to consider for a moment. And so I said, well, I'm sorry, Joss, and I'm not coming back to season five, am I? Mm. So, you know, um, that's uh, it's really, really unfortunate. And it was very disappointing after the effort and the amount of time that I had put into uh, the show and Jeff had put into the show for it to end that way. It yeah. was like, okay, just guys, go have a beer. Just go work, mm. the, you know, you know. But I anyway. mean, yeah. And I mean, I guess that's the that's the thing on sort of film sets or TV shows. They're stressful environments, aren't they? And, you know, people can say stuff that they don't mean or whatever. And it's, it's sad when, 
you know these sorts of things happen but they are quite it is quite a common thing though isn't I it I think you know remember that you know also people were exhausted yeah exhausted and extremely long hours we would start the beginning of the week working days but by the end of the week we were into nights yeah. so we were coming home at six o'clock in the morning on a Saturday but going back to the studios to do rehearsals even in our off time and there was hmm. so little sleep it was just one day after another for nine months um, yeah. and I think I think by the end of the four years people would just run ragged Mm. You know, and and tempers started to flare, and and like I said, there were a lot of people that were let go through a stressful situation. Oh, so and so said this, and fingers were pointed, and you're fired without you know really having an adult conversation over what happened. And people mm. were pointing fingers, and you know, and, but honestly, look, this happens, and you just got to walk away. And in retrospect, of course, I would love it to have ended differently, but it yeah. didn't. And um, so there you go. But I mean, despite all of that, you still look back quite fondly at that time, I'd imagine. Absolutely. And I just have to you know, put, put any hurt feelings aside because, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a grown up mm. girl. And, and I just, you know, looking back at the time, I think even myself, you know, have said things that I shouldn't have said. And, and we all did. And in the heat of the moment. But looking at the big picture and at the work that everybody did um you know of course i'm immensely proud of being part of that show and 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 doing the work and just being involved in such a great fun cool iconic show that people still talk about it's the butterfly style you've doubled for so many you know huge stars over the years People like Madonna, Renee Zellweger, Sienna Miller, Christina Applegate, loads of people. When you're doubling these people, do you, is it just a case of, you know, signing up to the job and then they basically tell you, you know, the stunt that they want to do? Or, you know, is it not as prescriptive as that? Is it a bit more of a, you know, a bit more of a dialogue? I have to be very honest about my skills. I'm not going to put myself into a situation that I can't complete what's what's required of me. If somebody has a job that I know that I can't do, for example, if they say, oh, we've got a 65 foot high fall, are you my girl? I'm going to say, no, I'm not your girl, but so-and-so is. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. you have to be very aware of your skill limits, which I've come to learn. G.I. Joe was perfect case fighting you know a little bit of this a little bit of that Sienna was fantastic Madonna you know Madonna um I had the perfect body match for her in fact when I met her I went to her house and she said look I'm you know you I need to see your body before I'm going to give you this job so mm. I went over to her her house on Rodeo Drive and met her and Guy at the time and it instantly hit it off with her and ended up doubling her for six years and in an assortment of stuff um, but basically my approach to work is I'm, I think that you know you list your skills what you can do and you have to be honest about your skills the contact the people can't the the stunt coordinators will contact you via either a recommendation or they know your work or they look at your skills you'll have a conversation with them on a, on the phone mm. about or you know or email or whatever uh, regarding what the stunt and then you 
you know, have to ask certain questions too regarding the stunt. Yeah. And then you make your decision based on obviously, you know, um, whether you're going to do it or not. And then once you're committed to it, once you've said yes, you are committed, that's it. Mm. So the next step is to go to set with all of the required equipment. You need to make sure that you're fully prepared, uh, whether it's wardrobe, whatever gear you need, whatever specific training you might have needed for this particular job, because sometimes it could be something that's kind of obscure. Um, and then you go to set, and then really it becomes all about your focus is on um, doing everything as efficiently and as as well as you can. So does it bother you at all then when, you know, you go to all this effort and hard work, you know, on a movie set and then the film comes out and people, you know, watch the movie and they just assume or are led to believe that, you know, it is the, the main actor that's doing all of that uh, all of the action or you know is that something that you just you just have to park that thought that's never really bothered me too much because it's not the mindset I'm going in there with I'm going in there with the, the mindset that I have a job to do and I need to complete it successfully yeah. one thing that does really piss me off is subsequent editing when you've done a really really good stunt yeah and then it's edited out or it, the camera angle you go through frame and you can't see it mm. that kind of thing now that that kind of thing is 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 frustrating yeah as far as getting credit i i already take it for granted i'm not getting any credit i know the bit what's happening i know the media i know that they're going to promote the star you know mm. and and if they do come to me for an interview just know that I, if you're going to ask me about my job and if you're going to ask me what I do in my job, I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to say, oh, I don't do this. My The actor, actress does it all herself. And, you know, I don't do anything. I just sit on the set. No, mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you this is what I do and this is how much of it I perform. And I'm going to be very open about it. Maybe mm -hmm. that's the British side in me. So where do you sit then on this uh, sort of ongoing debate then about... Um you know, stunt teams and action directors being recognised by the Academy and by the Oscars. Um, do you think that there, you know, should be an award for the uh, for stunts at the Oscars? I think that it's well past due. Yeah. And I think that stunt coordinators need to be recognised as, uh, as a category. Mm. Um, I think that we need to have a seat at the table. It's not just a matter of some a stunt person going in there and just taking some falls and going home. It's a craft. And there's a lot of work and detail that goes into creating these action scenes. Yeah. Many times the stunt coordinator is directing second unit. They come up with the whole... They are very creative and come up with the scenes. Um, they choreograph uh, very intricate uh, fight scenes, uh, car chases, you name it. We not only complete these scenes successfully, but we have to keep the entire crew saved mm. and the actors safe and our team. There is really a lot put on our shoulders. You know, you, you go to see trailers, right? One stunt clip after another, one clip after another, Fast and the Furious, one clip after another is all stunts. But are any of these people recognized? No, none mm. of them. None of them. So look at the effort and what we contribute. I mean, come on. What? Don't, don't try to fool people as if that we don't exist. No, we, we, you know, 
we've always existed. We've just been very quiet about it. You are part of the United Stump Women's Association, um, and you are you are someone who has you know done a lot to promote female stunt performers and encourage more uh, female. Uh, stunt coordinators as well in movies can you tell me a little bit more more about that group and sort of what they what they do there i think it's more of a supportive group of women yeah um that you know any any questions and concerns you know because look our career is what we do is it's a little bit different not everybody does it so when you've got some issues going on you need to talk to somebody that understands those issues um, so also we're hopeful to try to uh, promote female coordinators more. Mm. But over the years, as you've seen significant changes. We do have a lot more female coordinators. Um, and, and I hope that that only progresses, you know, that, that, that more opportunities become available to, to us um, for, for future girls, not so much for myself because I don't really foresee myself going into coordinating but you never know i was going to ask sophia is that is that something that you'd like to do in future maybe is stunt stunt coordinating or move into directing that kind of thing it's something that may be possible still um like i say i've only been in atlanta for five months now and focus has been on the coffee shop Mm. i gotta i gotta you know look for see where i'm going to live and then search for a good martial arts school and then register with SAG and get everything changed over and then and then we'll see you know well listen best of luck with with everything Sophia and um you know best of luck with the coffee shop and um you know all your uh, future endeavors it's been an absolute uh, pleasure talking to you Sophia so uh, yes thanks for that thank you so much thank you it's really lovely talking to you I appreciate you uh, inviting me lovely stuff there very much enjoyed that conversation with the one and only Sophia Crawford fabulous to have Sophia on the show you know it's a great thing actually just doing this show and getting to chat to people who you grew up watching you know it's a kind of strange thing but it's also you know very much an honor to uh, to be able to do this so Sophia is such a force of nature She's a great role model and ambassador for female stunt performers and fighters in general. And we do wish her all the very best in her latest business venture, running the Federal Coffee House there in Atlanta, Georgia. You can follow Sophia Crawford right now on Instagram. She is at Sophia Crawford Stunts. And she does share a lot of cool behind-the-scenes photos from her time on Buffy. And, yeah, if you're a Buffy fan or a general fan of action movies and stunts in general, then do follow Sophia Crawford there on Instagram. And, yes, indeed, her coffee does look delicious. A few thank yous then before I sign off. A big thank you to George Dennis, as always, for his ongoing technical support. Thank you to Sophia Crawford. And, of course, a big thank you to you, the loyal Foo follower who has made it all the way to the end of this episode of the show. Thanks for that. I will be back in two weeks' time with another episode of the Kung Fu Movie Guy podcast. Until then, thank you so much for your support. Thank you for tuning in and do take care. I will see you next time on the show. Bye for now. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 